Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know, and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors. Today, we're happy to welcome you to Daniela Kuto at BioGeneration Ventures, an early stage life science fund based in the Netherlands. Daniela is a PhD biomedical engineer with more than 10 years of experience in venture capital and building early stage biotechnology companies such as Staten Biotech, resulting in a 485 million transaction at the preclinical stage. Science has been at the core of Daniela's career and now she's making a true difference at BGV by coupling that with her entrepreneurial experience and eye for judging people as well as investments. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs are in Europe and maybe even invest with them? Pre-register for our newsletter on theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Hi, Daniela. Welcome to the show. It's super nice to have you. Uh, Welcome to the UVC. Hi, guys. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Daniela, before we start, I want to send a quick shout out to David Braga Malta because he introduced us. That's really cool because I didn't know you and Andres didn't know you before. So thank you, David, for that. Daniela, to start with, we love to start on the personal side and many of our listeners are emerging managers. And I think there is a lot of interesting things with your story into VC. And I'd love to ask you to start by sharing it and then we can maybe deep dive on a couple of things in there. Sure, sure. Okay, so I was born in the north of Portugal. I did biomedical engineering and then I enrolled in this MIT Portugal program to do my PhD studies at MIT. And then I think that's when my awareness to like start a company and the excitement of being in this space started. This was early 2009 when I arrived in Boston, and I think I I took courses um, innovation. So in addition to do the PhD, and I was at Charles Cooney Lab, I was taking a number of courses, and I remember two that completely changed my way of thinking. One was innovation teams with Luis Pérez Breva, which was also my advisor. And I took it twice, so for you guys to see how much I like it. Another course was Decision-Making Life Sciences with two VCs, Jonathan Fleming and Andre Zarur. And it was really about how VCs make decisions throughout the life cycle of the company to invest. Yeah. And that dynamics that I've seen between both of them, uh, so the innovation teams was bringing papers and ideas from the labs at MIT to undergrads and grad students to think about it, how they would start a business based on that. And then you actually would pitch to the BA, so the business angels and the VCs around MIT, which is yeah, a very nice environment to be in, as you yeah. guys know. So all of a sudden, you're doing your undergrad, in this case, I was a grad student, like group, just pitching to real investors. How cool is that? And some of these ideas actually got funding. And then you have your 100K contest that you can apply for and receive 100K to start an idea. How cool is that? So, I mean, all that 
in parallel while I was doing my PhD studies was just uh, amazing. The ecosystem, the pace, everything went super quick. You could just do everything. That's the feeling. You can do anything. So when we started the first company, the Viv, Braga Malta, was the one that introduced me to the concept that became sell to be later on. So he's been doing uh, bridges and connections for a long time. (laughs) True. And we connected with two other colleagues of ours that were doing their studies back in uh, IST in Lisbon. And we thought it was a great idea. Let's do this. And the feeling was we were four Portuguese doing a new venture with IP coming out from Sangita Batia's lab, where David was a PhD student. So this was a cell to be was a spin out from Sangita Batia's lab, so from MIT. We came back to Portugal with a feeling we'll keep a foot on both sides of the ocean, Lisbon and US, and we're going to make it work. We can change the world a company at a time. So that was really the feeling that being there for a couple of years really instigated in me, and I'm sure David shares the same feeling. And this was 2012. So I don't know, David, if you remember those days, because Portugal was coming out of a big hit. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing David at that time in a random restaurant and talking about the coming back and the vision of Cell TV. So I remember perfectly that time. <laughs> Everyone seemed quite depressed in Portugal because the, yeah. the, it was like four years of crisis, IMF, yeah, supporting the company, Troika. So when we came back, like, we're going to do this uh, and we're going to change the, the environment and create that vibe. I think we were, at the time, 2012, there was also startup Lisbon starting. And so there was a lot of movement yeah. towards doing more startups. There was great times to be in Lisbon and Celtby was great fun. So we got seed investment out of Portuguese business angels. We established labs until 2015. Uh, it was all going according to plan. So new cell therapy, litigation, graft versus host disease, support across the ocean. So the advisory board was pretty much in the U.S., the scientific team in Lisbon, in Portugal, and at the verge of raising our Series A of 16 million, term sheet signed, strong Belgian lead investor, everything collapsed. So I think one month, we thought we're going to have money in the bank account to just ramp up everything. And no, we had to dismiss people. And at the time, I had a bet with my husband because he was working. He's also Portuguese, but he was working in the Netherlands and the term sheet was signed. So I did the bet, like, when the money's in the bank account. <laughs> I can't lose this one. <laughs> well, I lost and I had to pay for it, which was I had to come whatever it was. So I ended up in the Netherlands. And then uh, Forvin Capital Partners was one of the investors we have been in contact with to fundraise. So I just approached Sander van Deventer from Forvin and asked him, look, I'm going to the Netherlands. Is there anything in biotech I can do there? And amazingly, Sander already had great ideas and he was working this company, Staten Biotech, cardiovascular space antibody. And he said, oh, we need someone to take it on. And this is very early stage. Why don't you come over and we tell you more about it? So a couple of months later, I, we ended everything at Cell2B and I started at uh, Staten Biotech as managing director. So great times. And then maybe the link to BGV to answer your question to close the circle. Edward Van Vesel, the managing director for BGV, was heavily involved with Staten those days and still is in the board. So when I joined Staten, 
I did half of my time early stage venture. It needed to really have someone to monitor everything. It was a virtual company. Yeah. And then Edward uh, asked me to join him. Two months later, I was doing half my time stat and half of my time funds. And it's been great fun since then. So it's been six years now. Very cool story. I need to ask, how does a startup collapse with a term sheet? Is there a learning there? Can we share something with our listeners? Because that's very interesting. You really need strong backers. And I think there is also a big deal of politics involved in VC, like there is some geographies that VCs are not so keen to invest in because they don't have a strong connection with, because there are not strong local investors to support the ventures. Yeah. And I think the lead VC we have really expected the strong ventures to co-support investment. Yeah. And unfortunately, that was not the case hmm. in the life sciences in Portugal those days. So I think, yeah, we have venture capital, but not with this magnitude to do early stage biotech in pharma, or at least there wasn't there at that time for this round size. And our business angel were strong investors as well, and they would keep the commitment, but that was not enough to close the full 16. And the full 16 were needed to the next period. But I think that's the biggest learning is you need strong backers And you need also strong backers at this early stage, geographically close to you, so yeah. others can also leverage from that. To what extent do you believe that's a learning for the founders? And to what extent is it a learning for the pre-seed slash seed investors, meaning that some very early stage investors maybe don't take it on them as much to educate the founders and make sure the future rounds are well devised? What are your views on that? Is that a key responsibility of the VC? Or is it the founder's game to be fundraising? It's the founder's game to make sure that the path towards the next round is secure? That's a good question. So we had great investors in CELTV and they were not only supportive, but they were also active in negotiations as well. So they were very strong supporters. I think the point there is they were not coming from biotech, pharma, VC, which you guys know is quite... It's a special world. <laughs> they knew all the negotiation language, the terms, and so on. They didn't have those connections to life science VCs. So that would have helped. But I think the other part is when they have made this commitment and they understood, okay, pharma is quite special and unique. Are we going to continue support companies that need to go through all these clinical trials and such deep needs in terms of money? Well, I don't think it's such deep pockets because IT also has deep pockets, right? It's, it's more on, yeah, pharma is quite special. So I think the backers we have probably feel more comfortable in other sectors than in pharma. I don't know if they refrain from doing more investments in pharma. I, I, it's definitely something I've met a lot that, you know, once angels have burned their hands on a vertical, then they stay out of it either for the rest of their life or for 10 or 20 years. <laughs> uh, it's very mimicking of what we're seeing in the VC space, right? In all of Europe, that LPs can be quite difficult to get to open up after uh, the dot-com bubble, which is 20 years ago now. <laughs> no, I think that's a fair point to do. And by the way, the other part is in parallel with this transition from sell to be, There was a lot of movement and a lot of capital coming into Lisbon, yeah. particularly we're also Porto and other cities. But I think it started pretty much in Lisbon. You saw that wave first, 
of a lot of companies in software space and a lot of investment in the software space. So if you have BAs that are willing to put money and they see, okay, did this healthcare company and there's pretty different setting. Yeah. Software, it's somehow easier to grasp. Well, at least at high level, one would argue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's more tangible, right? In one uh, way. You might not understand algorithms, but the yeah. commercial part, I think, is more tangible. Mm-hmm. So the money got diverted. And because there are many companies that are successful in the software space in Lisbon, I think it's a very good environment. But I would not be surprised if you see that redirection of funds as well. Now, we talked about a general learning there, but that path, what has that given you as an investor today? Ooh, I think a great basis. I think a great basis on the, well, hardcore skills, but also a great basis on the, and the hardcore, I mean, term sheet, uh, negotiations, contracts, but also on the soft skills, like team building and so on. But I think the other part is also on understanding the entrepreneurs, because I'm now on the other side but I know what is being on the entrepreneur's side. It's quite tough. I understand that part because I've been there and I think that gives quite a unique vantage point. How's your team uh, at BGV? Are you all former entrepreneurs or are you a mix of financial guys and operators? And how's the collaboration between you? How do you make each other better? Great question. We have a great team. I think that's our strongest aspect of the fund. We have a great team. So it's mixed, but everyone is coming from a science background. So there is at BGV. And if then if you we talk about the extended Forbian team, it's different. But at BGV, strong uh, scientific background. Three of us are prime entrepreneurs. So Edward Mavazel, our founder and managing partner, is himself an entrepreneur and started the fund as such. Myself, Max Clement, also an entrepreneur. And then Oscar is coming from Big Pharma, so adds a different dimension as well. Dida, Max and myself are also uh, had the scientific career before we kind of moved into the entrepreneur side. So I think very complementary, uh, but all very scientific uh, focus. And then we have the extended venture partner side, which then adds an additional component people that have not only pharma background, medtech background, but also more, in that case, also financial background as well. For our listeners, Daniela, just to give them a quick rundown, what's the status of BGV? In which fund are you? You know, just give us a quick rundown. Yeah, yeah, sure. So BGV has been up and running for 15 years now. This is our fourth fund, and we have always done early stage companies. By early stage, we mean getting in at seed or series A stage is the sweet spot. And then we keep some capacity for fall one round. So the current fund, fund four, is 140 million. We can invest up to 20 million per company over the life cycle. And we usually start somewhere between one to five million in the seed or series A. In this fund, we have Lily BMS as strategic investors. So limited partners in our fund, they've invested in the fund. And beyond that, you have the traditional pension funds. We have EIF as well, different range of investors. Yeah. And fund four, if I'm not mistaken, it was at least publicly announced earlier this year, correct? Yes, yeah. that's okay. correct. So we yeah. did the final closing in January. So we are actively investing out of fund four. Yeah. Uh, we do therapeutics only. So we don't do med tech diagnostics. So we focus pretty much on the therapeutic side. And there, 
We do agnostic in terms of indications, so we do them all indications, all modalities, cell therapy, gene therapy, small molecules, antibodies, and so on. Many believe that to be in bio, you probably want to do a bit longer funds than normal. Is your structure uh, uh, 10 years plus two times one or? Uh, it's 10 plus two. And I think it can still be extended further, but I think the reality with previous funds is, yeah. yeah. So in fund two, we actually closed it earlier okay. than estimated. So we had the CERTA farm, which was a 7 billion acquisition by AstraZeneca, 4 billion guaranteed. So it was pretty large upfront. And Decima Pharma, which was a $1.5 billion acquisition. So those two like home runs set the ground. Also in terms of life cycle, that was shorter. So uh, let's see, but uh, you're absolutely right. In life sciences, the, the life cycles are longer. When BGV started, the first fund was 17 million. Yeah. A lot has changed. <laughs> I know that there's been evolution and changes to the investment thesis itself. And that's really interesting to hear. Could you share that with us? So I was not there. Edward would be the best person to answer that. So when he started, together with the other partner, the mandate was really to help companies spin out from academia in the Dutch, Belgium, and German ecosystem, so very close to yeah. the geographies where we are. So we are based in uh, close to Amsterdam in the Netherlands. So, And that was in collaboration since the beginning with foreign capital partners. So foreign and BGV always kept this collaboration from the get-go. The funds were very small, fund one and two. And then we had those two home runs I was just telling you about, Assertive Pharma and Decima Pharma, that propelled BGV to a different level. Yeah, yeah. and we <laughs> able to continue doing the same. Staten Biotech was also an option to acquire at that stage or from that same fund. It was a 430 million transaction, but at very early stage, while Assertive was acquired at phase three, so at the very end of going to market. Staten was at preclinical stage. So those three were very good for fund two and propelled the fund into another level. So the fund size has increased, the team has increased, but the investment thesis, I don't think it has changed that dramatically. So we have more money to deploy in the winning companies, and that's the strategy. We keep investing at early stage, seed Series A, and then we just have the capacity to deploy more money in the companies that we prioritize. So back when the smaller funds, you weren't doing much follow-on rounds, I guess, with 17 million in bio? Yeah, we have limited pockets. So sometimes we wanted to invest more, but uh, yeah, limited pockets. So this uh, fund, 140, is completely different, right? You can start the seed, but then you have money to support them all the way. You guys also do uh, some pre-seed, right? We do. We have a pre-seed fund called FIRST. That one is geographically focused in the Netherlands and does pre-seed. So basically, FIRST does pre-seed, BGV's main fund, Seed Series A, and then Forbian comes in for Series A, B with larger tickets. And then Forbin Growth does crossover rounds. So we have the full pipeline from the same platform. Daniela, how's the collaboration across funds? I'm very curious to hear that. We have that collaboration since inception. So it was the Forbin team that identified the need. Back in the days, they were at ABN Emerald, the Dutch bank. Yeah. 
to really create this early stage fund to have more ventures in the Netherlands so they could invest, so they have a larger pool to invest from. So the overlap in our funds is about 25%, and there is no restrictions or obligations whatsoever. So Forvin doesn't have the obligation to invest in any of our companies, and we don't have the obligation to present any of our companies to them. It's really a symbiotic relationship from the get-go. And it happens that in about a fourth of the companies we co-invest together, either by joining forces at the same time from the get-go, as in Staten, or we invest first. In Staten, to be fair, we invested first, but Forbin had already pre-committed that upon certain milestones that will come in with a certain valuation. So that helps a lot, a company, right, to know, and a smaller investor like BGV, to know you'll have the support going forward if you achieve certain milestones. We have different models and depends from company to company, but the truth is about one-fourth of our companies have all funds invested, and we have a great relationship internally. I think the practical part that I really love, well, these days of the pandemic, we're not in the office as much, but back in the day is then you have this partner that has deep understanding on MD, medical doctor, deep understanding uh, gastroenterology or I don't know, asthma or cancer, and you just knock on the door and chat. Look, I have this opportunity in the oncology space. What is your opinion? And immediately you have an expert there that can give you a rundown of all aspects. So that's that part of having a much extended team with much more knowledge, because now we are a lot. (laughs) The team is quite quite a bit. I think that's one of the biggest advantages. That kind of collaboration often comes with a signaling value as well to the ecosystem. And for the three-fourths that don't get a Forbin investment, do you sometimes have issues with other investors saying, nah, but you know, you should be getting uh, follow-on capital from Forbin. Uh, what's up? Well, not to my face, but maybe as <laughs> some have thought that, often for these ventures is timing. So it's not like if you look at the companies, for instance, Forbin did not invest in a certain pharma. Our biggest exit and it was timing they were in between funds sometimes there's a fund strategy either a company is too early and then it has passed the sweet spot for investment there is not a correlation that Forbin has invested in the 25% that are <laughs> the best, the best. <laughs> you cannot establish that correlation so that helps I guess people kind yeah, of yeah. not thinking backwards yeah. in that way you have a uh, page on your website that actually shows the negative correlation <laughs> and tells people that they should go there <laughs> we don't have I don't think we have a sufficient end for that ah, yeah. okay, <laughs> maybe yeah. when we do we can do that analysis <laughs> I want to come back to the pre-seed topic and I want to tease out something that you shared with us last time we talked you said something like you believe that you can't do pre-seed cross-border and I can't help but think that that's connected to your experience as a founder in sell to be and what we were just talking about a while back can you expand a bit on your thinking why can't pre-seed be done cross-border so I think pre-seed or very early stage needs to be very close to the investment or the investor needs to be very close to the company Maybe cross-border works, it's just, but it doesn't work if you're that far apart. So I think the U.S. rule is you have to be three hours from driving from the company, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that's pretty accurate, maybe not three, but you have to be driving distance of a company. 
And when we do investments that we are not for a very early stage, so the pre-seed part, that we are not that close, we want someone local that has that. So coming back to Celtibi, when we were pitching to the U.S. investors we knew well about Celtibi, they're like, yeah, no, it sounds very cool. But now you're in Portugal, you should be able at that early stage to raise money there. Yes, that's true. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. We received that a lot. And I think the consideration is once you're a later stage, Series AB, then that's not so much of a issue, but at very early stages it is. And I understand now as an investor why that is an issue because you're just starting building a team. So you need that proximity. You need to be close. You're much more active. You're much more hands-on and you need that you know, brainstorm time, that proximity. And maybe the pandemic has shown us that you can do more digitally. Maybe that will change the dynamics in pre-seed. An hypothesis we can test, guys, later. <laughs> Is it something you would say you have seen during this time? Yes, true. I've never thought about investing in the team that we have not met beforehand. It has happened quite a bit in this last two years, yeah. year and a half. I think everyone especially in Europe, are following the developments here very, very much because we are so siloed between countries, especially in the early stage. I think it would be a momentous leap for our ecosystem as a union <laughs> if we could get across the border some more in the early stages. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Daniela, we always end the episodes with a quick fire round. Are you ready for that? Sure, bring it on. Awesome. Within biotech, what areas excite you the most that most other people don't really feel excited about? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. So I think each person really develops their own uh, niche areas and they vary and they kind of evolve through the years. I'm in the kidney space momentum now, so I really like <laughs> ventures that have or can help regenerate Podocytes or for kidney disease really help on kidney disease. And there are many niche and rare indications in the kidney. So I'm in the kidney phase and I think there is some excitement. It's not like I feel the other people don't feel excited about that, I feel. But it comes in waves. So I'm in the kidney momentum. I'm a bit curious there. I need to double down on that. Is it very thesis driven to be in bio or is it more like, okay, you know a lot about whatever happens in the kidneys. And for that reason, that's your specialty and that's where you invest. Or is it more like ah, I can I invest broadly in bio and, and I'll dive deep when there's good opportunity, then I'll dive deep in the latter. Yeah. yeah. So you basically, I'm a generalist and there might be areas, of course, I know more because I've studied this case and that case and so on. But once I'm excited about an area, I start reading a lot more about that area to get an idea and mapping the space. So neuroscience is another space we've been uh, mapping as a fund and making an effort as well. But we do this, so it doesn't mean that we will invest in kidney or in neurosciences, but we are looking at it proactively at this stage. Our next question, what's the most counterintuitive thing that you've learned since joining BGV? When I was an entrepreneur, I thought, and I, got, I get this also from our entrepreneurs, you only reach out to pharma to partner with someone else. Once you have something to show for. In biotech means, at least meant to me, late preclinical, you already have in vivo models, you show your compound works at least in mice and in or other species, but you have that in vivo. 
But I've come to learn as a VC that it helps tremendously if you inter- start that interaction with farm and that network building earlier on to the point that we tested that thesis and actually published a paper earlier this year in Nature Biotech. And the numbers showed that as well, that uh, basically we looked at success as a metric for a transaction value, IPO value, and so on. So success is measured as economic term. But still, you see that economic term increasing when interactions with pharma touch much earlier as well. To my surprise, not only at clinical stage, but way before at preclinical stage. So I thought that was counterintuitive for me as an entrepreneur. And um, I think it speaks to build that network from early days. Final question. What can we expect in the future from Daniela and Biogeneration Ventures? I think for me, a lot of energy from BGV, exciting new companies with great science. So we are actively now investing of our fund four in great science and then great companies. We have done already quite a good number of investments and we have two buckets, if you will. One, create companies that we keep them in stealth mode and you don't see them on our website until they have something to show for and then they come out of stealth. And we have the more traditional VC plays, all great teams. So yeah, I think you'll continue to see more of that. So we'll continue in the same note Great science, great teams, create new companies at early stages. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So to our listeners, if there's any founder out there doing exciting things with kidneys or neuroscience, you know who to reach out to. Daniela, it was super fun. Thank you for joining us. I'm always very happy to shine light on European VC champions, especially when they are Portuguese. I'm a bit biased there, and I'm looking forward to keeping in touch with you. Guys, this was very fun. Thank you so much for having me. And likewise, uh, David, always great to have other Portuguese uh, entrepreneurs on the other side. Andreas, don't take this as... (laughs) (laughs) We don't hate you. I hear that that down south, you guys need to stay together. So... (laughs) 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 Thanks a million. It was awesome. Thanks a million, Daniela. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.